0: is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, June 8th. I'm Julia Caulfield.
1: And I'm Matt Hoysh.
0: In today's headlines, COVID cases on the rise in San Miguel County.
1: Historical Museum heads to the slopes.
0: Introducing TBCPW.
1: And a mountain weather forecast.
0: After a month break, COVID updates are back at the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners meeting. Cases really have
2: um, ramped up substantially over the last few weeks, um, including our incidence rate here and then percent positivity has been through the charts.
0: That San Miguel County Public Health Director, Grace Franklin, speaking before the BOCC on Wednesday.
2: The encouraging piece, even though we're seeing a tremendous increase um, for our population on COVID cases, um, we still haven't seen any notable. Um, COVID-related hospitalizations. Um, and for the most part, a lot of individuals, as soon as they get that um, at-home positive test report um, result, they'll report it to us or um, contact tracing has been done on that individual level. And there just seems to be a-, a shift in understanding and personal responsibility there.
0: When it comes to that community shift, Franklin says moving forward, Public Health plans to continue preaching best practices.
2: We're really looking to go from that top-down approach and keep um, the public informed on best practices updates and really empowering individuals to make the smartest choices for their situation.
0: Franklin adds public health is also preparing to start administering COVID vaccines for children four months to five years old as soon as federal approval comes through.
2: Both Pfizer and Moderna, which have existing adult vaccines, um, have a different um, vaccine for this younger age group um, that is going under um federal review and a meeting um, next Thursday. And then it takes about a week to process um, before it becomes approved. But our team is prepped and ready um, to launch programs. And we have been approved for shipment of the Moderna um, pediatric doses. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we'll be ready to go as soon as um, it's um, determined to be safe and effective.
0: Vaccine clinics continue every other Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m. and by appointment at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and the Uncompahgre Medical Center. With the uptick in cases, public health will continue twice-a-month COVID updates at Board of County Commissioner meetings.
1: You may know most of the runs at the Telluride Ski Resort are named after old mining claims, but... Did you know an early idea from developers was instead to name them after card games.
3: So a lot of the early names, we've got Card Shark, One-Eyed Jack, Inside Straight.
1: (laughs) That's Molly Daniel, director of programs and exhibits at the Telluride Historical Museum.
3: I don't know, it's just funny to me that that's what it could have been. But I think they were kind of out of touch with Telluride and then Senior Mahoney, who's been here and grew up mining and very familiar with the area's mining culture, was like, no, I think we kind of need to honor Telluride's history, which I think is great.
1: Daniel is giving me a sneak peek at the museum's newest annual exhibition, The Long Run. It's a history of the ski area, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. Mm.
4: Telluride Company, in never-ending and ongoing
5: consultation with ecologists, forest service personnel, and environmentalists, has taken a fantastic
6: town, surrounded by great ski terrain, and they built five double chairlifts in just the right place. Then they've cut trails to produce some blow-your-mind skiing.
1: That's a clip from Telluride is Happening, a 1970s short by ski filmmaker Warren Miller that helped publicize the resort in its early days and is part of the long run. The
3: skiing mix
6: it's just right. The top half of the over 3,000 vertical feet of lift-serve ski
1: runs is steep, and it's tough enough to challenge even the best skiers. The lower half,
4: that's gentle and rolling. Easy enough for anyone.
1: Daniel spent the last six months putting the exhibition together. The whole experience, she says, has been a trip back in time.
3: As Somebody born in the early 90s who grew up in the South um, I'm very separated from, or I grew up separated from ski culture. I definitely wasn't alive in the 70s, so it's been, I'm almost nostalgic now for a time that I wasn't alive.
1: The exhibition actually starts a few decades before the 70s when the resort opened, because there was skiing here long before Telski. A pair of old wooden skis hangs on the wall next to the entrance. They belonged to Pat Mahoney. Pat Mahoney. The brother of ski area pioneer senior Mahoney
3: and he used these wooden skis at Gridsley gulch in telluride and the plaque right here says in 1938 which is when they would have been skiing kind of the town park area of town and it was very, you know, rustic skiing, ungroomed. They would have these automobile-powered rope toes that they would kind of just rig up for uh, temporary purposes so that kids could be pulled up to the top and then hope they make it down in one piece.
1: <laughs> there was actually an earlier attempt to start a ski resort in the 50s and 60s, but that fell through. Then, a few years later, came Joe O'Lean. He was a businessman who lived part-time in Aspen and saw the potential for a ski area in the former mining town, then bought land to build it.
3: And I love his quote right here about buying the ski area. He said, I was feeling adventurous and I wanted to do something beautiful and constructive. I think he got a lot of slack from people in town. He was like, oh, there's this rich guy coming in. He wants to capitalize on our beloved town. But I think he had good intentions. I think he really was like, oh, this is a beautiful place. I love it. I want to build something great.
1: It took a few years to plan and develop the area. But on December 22, 1972, the Telluride Ski Resort opened. That was after the opening was delayed, ironically, because of too much powder.
3: They couldn't get work trucks and crews to be able to finish lodges and to get everything completed just in time for it to open because there was too much snow, uh, which seems like a good problem to have.
1: The exhibition has several artifacts from those early years, including trail maps and original trail signs for milk run and plunge.
3: And I think they're just neat and bring you back. I think it's milk run was a blue run, which is interesting. Now it's a black run, of course.
1: There were also other differences in those early years. A lift ticket was only $7.50, but there were also a lot fewer lifts and none on the town side of the mountain.
3: So if you skied the plunge all the way into town, you would have to take a whole bus ride all the way back to Mountain Village, which it wasn't Mountain Village at the time, it was just the base of the ski area. You'd have to take a bus all the way there, and then ride up the mountain again, which was like a whole 30-minute commute.
1: In the five decades since those early years, a lot has happened that has shaped the resort along with the community,
3: and the exhibit
1: goes into a lot of it. One of the overall themes, Daniel says, is people coming together.
3: I think a lot of what happened with the ski area happened because, you know, we we do live in a community. This town isn't just a resort. It's full of people who care about this place and the people that live here. A constant in the story of the Telluride Ski Area are the people that made it happen and wanted it to happen and pushed for these things to happen in these beautiful places to explore the outdoors and to enjoy skiing these mountains in the backcountry and to keep seeing further
1: Whatever your feelings, the ski area is undeniably one of the most consequential parts of Telluride history, helping make these mountains what they are today. The long run 50 years of the Telluride Ski Area opens at the Telluride Historical Museum on Thursday, June 9th with a reception at 5 p.m. It will stay up through the end of the 2022-23 ski season.
0: Sitting outside the bustling Telluride Brewing Company, Chris Fish takes a sip of the new Frio on the Rio.
5: First, when you look at it, you would think it looks very... Pilsner-like or lager-like, you know, looks like our Mexi lager almost, how it's light and has a lot of corn in it.
0: Fish is co-founder and brewmaster at Telluride Brewing.
5: Drinking it up front, it's like a little bit of up front sharp bitterness, but not unpleasant, really smooth, and then it just finishes with an explosion of tropical hops, and they're called, hops are called Sabro, Strata and Eldorado, and they just throw a ton of fruit. And because the beer is so dry, because of the corn, and there's not a lot of, extra weight from a lot of sweetness from residual sugars from the barley, it just, it drinks super easy.
0: The beer is a cold IPA.
5: Which is kind of a funny name because most people, at least Americans, like their beer to be cold. The English are down with some warm beer, but um, so it's kind of funny that it's called cold IPA, but uh, basically the premise behind it is using a lager yeast to brew an IPA. and then also using adjuncts, whether it be rice or corn, to really dry the beer out and make it crisp and refreshing. And so we use a lot of corn in this beer.
0: It's a collaboration with Colorado Parks and Wildlife called CPW On Tap, celebrating the 125th anniversary of the agency. Bridget Koshal is a public information officer for CPW.
2: We were looking to partner with different people across the state who also have a passion for living life outside. And also people who are using Colorado's natural resources to create unique byproducts for people to savor. And so we really thought that this was just a fantastic way to celebrate everything that Colorado loves and that Colorado lifestyle, which is people wanting to get outside, but then also to celebrate
5: craft
0: breweries. Back at the brewery, Fish says TBC wanted to celebrate its favorite part of that Colorado lifestyle.
5: We wanted the theme to be a, a river focus because you know, our we love all of us use a lot use and go to a lot of the state parks, but most of us are river people, whether it be fishing, rafting, both. Um, so yeah, we went with a, a river focus and it being released in the spring with the um, the spring runoff.
0: Thus, Frio on the Rio was born. Fish says it's the perfect beer to take out on the water. I
5: really love hoppy beers, but on those really hot days, I don't want to drink them. You know, when you're especially if you're on the river, you go down and get on the Colorado River or something, and it's 100 degrees. This is a beer you can drink. So it's kind of like it's really high octane hop juice that works in the summertime. <laughs>
0: but a light summer beer doesn't mean it still can't pack a punch.
5: Super tropical hops, dry, crisp refreshing a set you know beer weighs in at seven percent but you wouldn't know it so really hidden alcohol which is something we like to do around here
0: frio on the rio is available at the tbc tap rooms and local liquor stores but not for long a small batch fish says the beer will likely be gone by the end of the month colorado parks and wildlife will host a libations festival this fall to showcase the 18 cpw on tap collaborations
1: So much of the year-round joy of the San Juans comes from water. Whether crunchy winter snow or babbling spring streams, not to mention all the plant life slurping droplets from the soil, H2O is a vital part of our region. This Thursday, the Wilkinson Public Library will host a forest health forum on the state of our watershed. In collaboration with the San Miguel Watershed Coalition and Sheep Mountain Alliance, the library will welcome Dr. Rory Cowie owner of the consultancy Alpine Water Resources. His work focuses on understanding surface water and groundwater interactions in natural and human-altered environments. Dr. Cowie will discuss his knowledge on water in the San Juans and how our region's beavers and our interactions with them provide ecosystem restoration. The Forest Health Forum is this Thursday, June 9th, from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Wilkinson Public Library.
0: Governor Jared Polis has signed a bill to stop charging state sales tax on menstrual products and diapers. The exemption starts next year. Supporters say the products are essential and people should not be burdened with paying taxes on them. Senator Sonia Haquez-Lewis of Boulder County sponsored the new law. She says lowering the cost of hygiene products is about dignity and the previous tax system affected low-income communities. Economists at the state capitol say the exemption should collectively save residents $11 million in taxes next year.
1: Colorado is ranked 10th in the country when it comes to support for LGBTQ residents. That's according to Out Leadership, a global network for LGBTQ plus business leaders and companies. The 2022 LGBTQ Business Climate Index ranks states based on legal, political, emotional support, health, and business. The index rates states out of 100 points. Colorado received 86.33. New York came in first, scoring nearly 94 points, followed by Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Vermont, Maine, Illinois, Oregon, California, then Colorado. South Carolina ranked last, with just under 34 points out of 100.
0: Some Colorado lawmakers say they are gearing up to pass new laws promoting abortion access if the U.S. Supreme Court strikes down federal protections. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, one Democrat says she sees some opportunities after a recent tour of abortion clinics in Mexico City.
1: Senator Julie Gonzalez of Denver says Mexico City's model of mostly using medicines for abortion could help Colorado meet a new demand from people traveling here from states with restrictions.
0: Absolutely safe, absolutely easy to administer as a a mechanism to be able to expand capacity in and of itself.
1: Gonzalez also says she supports pursuing a ballot measure in 2024 to enshrine abortion access into the state constitution. Colorado passed a law this year making it illegal for cities to pass restrictions, but some are calling for a more permanent protection that lawmakers could not reverse in the future. I'm Scott Franz in Denver. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Thursday, expect mostly sunny skies with a high in the mid-70s and a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Thursday night should be mostly clear with a low around 50 degrees. Friday calls for sunny skies with a high in the mid-70s. Friday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low in the mid-50s. This has been the news for Wednesday, June 8th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970 728 3206. And now, personal commentaries.
7: Hi, this is David Nepsky, the Town of Telluride's public information officer, and I'm here to present the finalized Sunnyside Housing lottery information. The lottery application acceptance period began on May 16, 2022. Applications will be accepted until noon on June twenty-first, 2022. The lottery drawing will be held on June thirtieth, 2022 at noon at Rebecca Hall. Successful applicants will be offered an eligible unit in the order of preferences designated on their application. The Telluride Housing Department will require all adult applicants to demonstrate employment in the R1 school district equaling or exceeding 1,400 hours a year with an average 27 hours worked per week. Applicants must prove they have met this work requirement in the R1 school district area for at least 12 months prior to the drawing date of June 30th, 2022. Applicants that do not meet the above employment qualification but who are over 65 years of age or who have a disability may also be eligible for the lottery. One pet per unit or household shall be allowed in each Sunnyside unit. For more information, please visit the Town of Telluride's website Sunnyside Housing Project webpage. And now here's Eddie from the Telluride Housing Department with the Spanish version. Thank you, Eddie.
6: El pueblo de Telluride se complace en presentar la información finalizada de la lotería de vivienda de Sunnyside. El periodo de aceptación de solicitudes de lotería comenzó el 16 de mayo. Las solicitudes se aceptarán hasta el, el mediodía del 21 de junio. El sorteo de la lotería se llevará a cabo el 30 de junio al mediodía en Rebecca Hall, a los solicitantes seleccionados se les ofrecerá una unidad elegible en el orden de preferencias designado en su solicitud. El Departamento de Vivienda de Telluride requerirá que todos los solicitantes adultos demuestren un empleo en el Distrito Escolar R1 equivalente o superior a 1,400 horas por año con un promedio de 27 horas trabajadas por semana. Los solicitantes deben demostrar que han cumplido con este requisito de trabajo en el área del distrito escolar R1 durante al menos 12 meses antes de la fecha del sorteo del 30 de junio. Los solicitantes que no cumplan con los requisitos de empleo anteriores, pero que tengan más de 65 años o que tengan una discapacidad también pueden ser elegibles para la lotería. Se permitirá una mascota por unidad de hogar en cada unidad de Sunnyside. Para obtener más información, visite la página web Town of Telluride y busca el proyecto de vivienda Sunnyside. Thanks Eddie.
0: Have you noticed how quickly the snow is melting this year? Are you curious as to how our watershed is impacted by the current drought conditions? And did you know that beavers play a major role in the health of our watershed? Sheep Mountain Alliance, San Miguel Watershed Coalition, and Wilkinson Public Library are excited to present Dr. Rory Cowie, owner of Alpine Water Resources, to discuss water in the San Juans and how beavers influence our ecosystems. Join us this Thursday, June 9th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the library for our first Forest Health Forum event, where you'll hear Dr. Cowie speak. For more information, visit sheepmountainalliance.org and click on events. We hope to see you there.
4: You may have noticed the sound of Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on your door missing from your Saturday mornings the last couple of years during the pandemic. During this pause in their door-to-door work, they reflect on the 20th anniversary of the Supreme Court's 8-to-1 decision in the case of Watchtower versus The Village of Stratton, Ohio, on June 17, 2002. The Village of Stratton, Ohio passed an ordinance making it a criminal offense to go from door-to-door without first obtaining a permit from the mayor justice sandra day o'connor had this observation during the case well
2: how about trick-or-treaters do they have to go get a permit <laughs> interesting under this ordinance it looks like it doesn't it
4: your honor and they're soliciting too josh mcdaniel director of the religious freedom clinic at harvard university says this case has a far-reaching impact
1: i mean this would have affected everything from going door-to-door to to sell Girl Scout cookies, to going door-to-door to to advocate for a particular political cause or candidate or campaign, the implications of the decision really would have been very far-reaching had the court ruled the other direction.
4: The goal for the witnesses was clear, according to Robert Hendricks, U.S. Spokesman for Jehovah's Witnesses.
3: Our motive for initiating the case was clear. We wanted to remove any obstacle that would prevent us
4: from carrying out our scriptural obligation to preach the good news of the kingdom. Professor McDaniel has this conclusion.
1: When the Jehovah's Witnesses go to court, when they vindicate that constitutional right, they're not doing it just for themselves and just for their ability to go door to door and do their ministry. It's a right that now extends to everyone thanks to Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.